Well, I want to welcome you to church this morning too. Um, my name's Joss, um, and Happy New Year. Welcome to church on the very first Sunday of 2024. Um, I hope you've had a great first week of the year. Uh, as I start talking about some news stories from about three years ago, I want to give you a warning because it could bring back memories that we've all been trying to suppress. But bear with me uh, because I hope to use it as a bit of a challenge for us. I'm sure you'll all remember those times in 2020 and 2021 when we'd watched the daily press conference about the COVID numbers. There were several times, but one in particular that I remember where Dan Andrews reported that a group of about 30 people were at a dinner party. At the start of the dinner party, one person unknowingly had COVID, but by the end, they all had it. It was shocking to us at the time. And even now, at the end of last year in November, when I tested positive to COVID, I felt so guilty because just the day before, I had been in our boardroom upstairs with all of our ministry staff for an all-day meeting. So the thoughts going through my mind were terrible. And I thought back to those, conference, those press conferences that Dan Andrews spoke about, um, about one person arriving at a party and all 30 ending up with COVID. Gladly on, that, on this occasion in November, no one else got sick, but early on in those COVID years, super spreading events were commonplace. It got me thinking that infectious diseases are incredible multipliers. As we start the new year here at New Penn, we're not actually starting a new series. We're continuing a series that we started in December called The Life of Christ. Before Christmas, we were, of course, um, focusing on the stories leading up to and surrounding the birth of Jesus. And as we continue to work through uh, Jesus' life uh, this year, it's our hope that we're all going to discover new insights and be inspired once more by Jesus' life and ministry. As you may have heard, the ministry team here at New Penn spent the last year working through a training program called Shift M2M. This is a paradigm developed by the not-for-profit Christian organisation called Power to Change, which works to equip churches and Christian organisations to become multiplying movements. Now, you'll hear that phrase a bit through the course of this series and beyond. We'll be unpacking what it means to be a multiplying movement and the implications to us as a church and as individual followers of Jesus too. But just to introduce to you briefly, Shift M2M takes people on a slow walk through the Gospels chronologically so that you can understand how Jesus went about his life and ministry and what that could mean for those of us seeking to follow him. Now, I hadn't experienced a journey like that before. I've grown up in, the ch in churches, following Jesus, serving in my local church throughout my life. I've read the Gospels many times and I've taught the Gospels on countless occasions, but going through this process of unpacking the Gospels in or Jesus' life in order has been an amazing, eye-opening experience and one which helps me to see Jesus in a new light. So I highly recommend that when you hear of opportunities throughout this year to get on board, to explore uh, this further, grab those opportunities with both hands. One of the things that Shift M2M does is divide Jesus' life into phases, which demonstrate how Jesus went from a baby in a manger 
to leaving behind a movement of disciples who would go on to make disciples who made disciples who made disciples. Multiplication. We are the beneficiaries of that original movement of disciple makers who were handed the baton from Jesus when he ascended into heaven. And they took the great command and the great commission seriously. That is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and to love your neighbour as yourself. And the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Last week, we had a wonderful combined service with other local peninsula churches, didn't we? And Mark Matthews shared about how we can be united on mission. Rather than our allegiance being to our denomination, that we're Baptist or Anglican, Salvo or Presbyterian, our allegiance is to King Jesus. So if we call ourselves followers of Jesus and on mission for Jesus, then we actually need to study his life and his ministry so that we can truly follow him. A Christian philosopher called Dallas Willard put it like this, I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were me. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I'm learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. Now, I know that's a bit of a mind bender of a, of a, a little paragraph there. I'm going to read it again. I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were me. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I'm learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did everything that he did. So let's get into the passage for today and begin exploring Jesus' life. And to think about this in the way Shift M2M thinks about it, we're in phase one, preparation phase, which covers Jesus' first 30 years before he starts his ministry. But don't worry, don't panic. I'm not going to be here till dinner covering the entire 30 years. Actually, there isn't much of the Gospels dedicated to this time. But what is there is fascinating. So I've called this message, God, man, or both. Because as Grace explored with the kids so well before, understanding this about Jesus is incredibly helpful for us as we seek to follow him. So our passage for today is Luke 2, but we're just going to quickly cover, quickly skim over verses 1 to 20, because that's the Christmas story and it's familiar to most of us. But I'm just going to highlight some key verses where Luke is showing us that the arrival of baby Jesus and the way it all happened had been foretold by God long before. And it reinforces the fact that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah or Saviour that's been promised by God. Luke is making sure we don't miss the details about Jesus' birth. We've been told this long ago and the people of the time had been told through their scriptures and they knew their scriptures. They'd been told many times that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and that's shown in Micah, two, uh, Micah 5. He would come from the line of David and that's in 2 Samuel, Jeremiah and Isaiah and many other places and would be born of a virgin from Isaiah 7. And then he goes on to share about the appearance of the angels to the shepherds who say outright that their saviour had been born and that he is the Messiah. 
and they'll find him in a manger. We haven't got time today to unpack all of the Old Testament prophecies that are fulfilled in these verses about Jesus' arrival, but just to say that there is no doubt in the writer's mind that Jesus is the Messiah and he is from God. And if that wasn't enough, Luke goes on to explain what happens about when Jesus' dutiful Jewish parents take him to Jerusalem when he's about 40 days old. So let's read from Luke chapter 2, 22 to 35. Luke 2. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marvelled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So Simeon doesn't know Mary and Joseph. He's a devout Jew He knows God and knows that God is going to save Israel. It says the Holy Spirit was on him and that he had been told by God that he would get to see the Messiah before he dies. And just at the right time, when Mary and Joseph are coming to the temple, Simeon is moved by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple also. And there he sees baby Jesus and declares that this is the Messiah they've been waiting for. He is so certain that he says to God that he is now ready to die. Wow, what a declaration. Have you ever been so certain of something that God has told you, so certain that you'd be prepared to stake your life on it? And confirming Simeon's declaration, it is followed by a prayer from a prophetess called Anna. Luke says she worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And she also comes up to the baby and gives thanks to God and speaks of him to those who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. She too believes Jesus to be the answer to Israel's problems. There's this funny interview that I've been seeing with comic actor Rowan Atkinson. You know, the guy that plays Mr Bean. He's being asked in the interview if there is anywhere he can go in the world where he's not recognised. And he tells a story of there's a, there's a time he goes into a car parts shop to get a part for his car and the guy serving him has to go out the back. And another customer comes up to him and looks at him strangely and says... 
It's uncanny. Has anyone ever told you that you look like the guy who plays Mr Bean? And for the next 10 minutes, Rowan Atkinson is trying to explain to this other guy that he actually is the guy who played Mr Bean. But this guy is not convinced. He is just someone who looks very similar and tries to suggest to Rowan Atkinson that he should take up doing impersonations of Mr Bean and that he would make a fortune. Here, with the baby Jesus, these two people, Simeon and Anna, are 100% certain they know who they're looking at. They may not have known exactly how God was going to bring about his rescue plan through Jesus, but they knew that Jesus was the guy. Why? How did they know? Well, it's been revealed to them by God. But how has it been revealed to them? Well, in Simeon's case, the Holy Spirit was on him. He was in tune with God and he was listening to the promptings God was giving him. And for Anna, she worshipped night and day, praying and fasting. She was devoted to God and had her life centred on God. So far, we've seen that Luke is wanting to convince us that this baby Jesus is the Messiah they've been waiting for, the Son of God, the one who will save them. But this next part of Luke 2 shifts gears a little, and we're going to explore Jesus as human. Let's look, look at Luke 2, 39 to 48. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. Don't miss this. The child grew and became strong. Hold on to that for a moment. From verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem For the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. If you're a parent or a grandparent, have you ever experienced anything like this? Or do you have memories of getting lost as a child? Kids, do you remember being lost and your parents finally finding you? Maybe you've been left behind at church. Your parents came in separate cars because they were serving on the day and they both got home, looked at each other and discovered that neither of you had taken them home. It's happened here. And it happened to my brother and I when we were little. About seven years ago, when our youngest was about three, I had taken our three kids to the Rye Foreshore Playground. I was meeting an old school friend there who had recently had her first baby. We met at the park so that my three could play while we caught up. I don't know if you know it, but it's a gated adventure playground and it's pretty awesome. 
So we let the kids play for a bit and then we all came out of the gated playground and sat quite a distance away in the shade on a picnic rug to have a snack. Ruthie, Tom and Beth all played on the grass while Lib and myself chatted and caught up and I was admiring her beautiful baby who lay there on the rug, not old enough to move anywhere. I suddenly became aware that I no longer had all three of my children with me and I was unclear how long it had been since one of them was missing. Beth was about eight, Tom six and my three-year-old was not present. Initially I thought, oh, she's just toddled off behind a tree or something but as I called her name and we raced around trying to find her, the panic started to race through my body. There was a busy road just there the beach not far across the park. I raced into the toilet block, nothing. I ran to the road and my friend to the beach, nothing. But eventually, after what seemed like an eternity, Beth and Tom came racing back from the playground saying, we can see her in the playground. I ran in there and found her happily playing on the fort, oblivious to the commotion she had caused. This story of Jesus going missing and his parents searching for him for three days brings back those sorts of memories. And his response reminds me of a bit how Ruthie looked at me that day in the playground. Jesus says to his parents, why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Ruthie knew exactly where she needed to be that day. As a three-year-old, her priority was to play. And why would we sit all the way over there when there's this amazing play space just here? For the 12-year-old Jesus, his priority was to be in the temple and studying the scriptures. He was spending time listening to the teachers, asking questions. He was growing in wisdom. Now, here's one of the big aha moments for me. You see, growing up in the church, you spend a lot of time learning about Jesus as God, the miracle worker, the one who calms the storm, the one who turns water into wine, or five loaves and two fish into, 5, 000, into a feast for 5,000. But you don't spend much time talking about Jesus' humanity. You know that Jesus is God and that Jesus became man but you don't spend much time thinking about what his humanness was actually like and what that means for us. When Jesus is born, he can't walk already or give his Sermon on the Mount by the age of three. He doesn't have all the knowledge of the scriptures already in his head as a 12-year-old. He's not like a genius that skips high school and goes straight to university and becomes the youngest ever neurosurgeon at the age of 16. No, Jesus has to grow and has to learn. He has to experience all of what it is to be human, except for sin, so that he can live as God intended man to be. After his parents find him in the temple, Luke says of the 12-year-old Jesus in verse 51, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Jesus had to grow up, be obedient to his parents, to grow in understanding and in relationship with his heavenly father and with those around him. We don't know at what point Jesus knew 
and completely understood what his role and purpose was. But as theologians like Bruce Ware say, Jesus' deity was unexpressed so his humanity could be fully expressed. In other words, while he was here walking this earth, Jesus was God, but that aspect of him was put on hold so that he could demonstrate what it was to grow up and to learn to live as someone completely surrendered to God's kingdom agenda, to bring people back into relationship with him. I'll say it again, Jesus was God, but that aspect of him was put on hold so that he could demonstrate what it was to grow up and learn to live completely surrendered to God's kingdom agenda. So what does understanding that do for us? Just as Jesus studied the scriptures and grew in understanding, so can we. Just as Jesus grew close to his father and learnt obedience, so can we. Just as Jesus drew on the power of the Holy Spirit to perform wonders and signs, we too have that same resource available to us. Just as Jesus raised up people to carry his good news to the lost, the broken, the sick, and those who didn't even realise they needed a saviour, so can we. Paul instructs the Philippians and us that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So if our attitude is to emulate that of Jesus, let's get into his word. Let's understand how he lived and how it was that he left behind a multiplying movement of disciple makers so that when we get to the end of our time here on earth and we don't know how long that will be. So let's not put it off. But when we get to heaven, wouldn't it be awesome to see people who have been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit because we did our part and we took the great command and the great commission seriously? I wonder what sort of multiplying effect God will have through us. In this new year, are we ready to take the baton and run our race for Jesus? Are we ready to follow Jesus' lead and submit ourselves to God's kingdom agenda? Are we ready to be that one person at the dinner party who shares with others, and by the end, all 30 have been touched by God? That's the sort of super spreading event we want to see. Are we ready as a church to be partnering with Jesus every day and everywhere to make disciples who make disciples. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for sending Jesus as your rescue plan for us to bring us back to you, God. We thank you that you have transformed our lives and that you give us hope every day. We thank you for sending Jesus as a human to live and to show us that we too can draw close to you just like he did. We can learn to obey and to follow you. Help us, God, to love those around us in our community so deeply 
that we want them to know you too and to be transformed just like you've transformed us. Help us to learn, God, to live in this new year completely dependent on you and ready to share your good news with those we come into contact with. Lord, we praise you and we honour you this morning and we ask that you would go with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.